Hey, this is Stephen, and I want to welcome you or welcome you back to the Grove Church Podcast. For more information or to find more resources like this one, be sure to visit us at grove.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope the following message is encouraging and meaningful to your life. Well, I'm excited to be with you this morning because we are kicking off a brand new sermon series called Now is the Time, and we're going to be diving into the book of Haggai. Now, many of you may not be familiar with the book of Haggai. That may sound like a made-up name, but I promise it's there. It's uh, right in between Zephaniah and Zechariah. I don't know if that helps anybody, but that's where the book of Haggai is located towards the end of your Old Testament. But here's the reason I'm excited about talking about this story in the book of Haggai, specifically because I think that it's a perfect story for where we find ourselves in the world right now. I think it is a perfect story to help guide us Um, to help kind of illuminate what steps should lie ahead for us as we continue to navigate the the moment we find ourselves in, this place in time. And I think that the book of Haggai, at least the way that I'm going to be using it, you know, in our modern context is the perfect cautionary tale for us. It's cautionary in the sense that it describes and tells the story of what happened to the people of Israel as they return from Babylonian exile. As they return from captivity in the land of Babylon, it begins to kind of chronicalize what happened and the way that they lived their lives, the choices they made and which ones were right and which ones caused problems. And for us, I think it's the perfect story to help us understand how we should continue to move forward. Because right now, it feels like to me where we find ourselves in is this place where life is starting to feel more and more familiar where routines are starting to creep back in. The way that life used to look is starting to feel closer and closer than it ever has in the last six months. I mean, we have, our lives have been dramatically altered and changed and upended and shuffled about and discombobulated. But now, more than any other time in the last six months, they've, at least for me, at least what I sense and hear from you is that they feel the most normal or the most like the way that they used to be. Sports are on TV. Uh, A lot of kids are returning to their activities and their extracurriculars and even returning to school. You know, the weather is starting to cool down a little bit. There starts to seem to be kind of this familiarity. And, And so it's natural that we begin to return to our routines, return to our old ways of living, return to the ways that we used to conduct ourselves and make choices and think about our lives. And there's a danger in that. There's a danger in returning to some old ways, and I want us to be really intentional about how we return in this season that we find ourselves in. And so I think the story in the book of Haggai is the perfect companion for us as we navigate these next several months. And so to give a little historical context so that the book and story of Haggai makes sense, we kind of got to go back in time. And so we need to go back in time almost 600 years before the life of Jesus. So at this time, the people of Israel are uh, living their normal lives in Jerusalem in the center of their culture, the center of their faith, the center of their life is what's called the temple. Now, this is Solomon's temple that King David's son, King Solomon, where all the Proverbs come from, the wisest man who said to have ever lived, he builds this beautiful and magnificent temple. And it is the centerpiece of all life and all commerce and all belief um, in kind of that time period for the people of Israel there in the middle of Jerusalem. Now, 
the Babylonian Empire invades Jerusalem. We've talked about some of these stories before, but the Babylonian Empire invades Jerusalem, destroys everything, and most significantly and most importantly, in the year 586 BC, they destroy Solomon's temple. And then what they do is they take all of the Israelites captive and hostage and prisoner, and they send them into Babylon. And so you can imagine how upended, how discombobulated, how turned around and upside down the lives of the people of Israel must have been during this time period. This would be the equivalent of some foreign superpower developing unparalleled you know, nuclear or um, atomic capabilities and then invading America and then taking everybody in Dallas prisoner. They destroy maybe Cowboy Stadium. I don't know. We don't really have a modern equivalent, but maybe they destroy Cowboy Stadium and they take all of us captive, hostage and prisoner and they take us back to their country. And so we're living in their country trying to figure out how we resume some semblance of a life. You can imagine all the questions, all of the uncertainty, all of the wondering about why did this happen, about what went wrong, where was God in all of this. This is exactly the place that the people of Israel find themselves in. And so in many ways, it's kind of similar to the last six months for us. Maybe not to the quite same level of extreme, but there has been a lot of upending, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of confusion, a lot of fear and anxiety and worrying about what life is going to look like going forward. Now, the people of Israel... They're in captivity in Babylon for about 50 years. And then the Persian Empire takes over Babylon. And so now they're subject to the rule of the Persian Empire. Well, the Persian Empire runs their country and their empire a little bit differently than the Babylonians did. And so they allow a group of Israelites to return to Jerusalem. So this is 50 years after they had left. So for many of them, you know, they didn't survive the captivity. So this group of Babylonian or this group of Israelites leave Babylon, and for many of them, it's the first time upon arriving to their quote-unquote homeland. Now there were a couple of you know gray beards and gray heads who made the journey and were able to come back, but this group of people, this group of Israelites, gets to come back to Jerusalem. But of course, everything is destroyed and everything is in ruin. And so because the temple, the house of God, played such an important role in their life and in their faith uh, and in their culture, it was one of the first things that they began to rebuild. And so for about two years, they worked day and night rebuilding the temple. Now, they only got so far as to begin to develop the foundation of the temple and then the altar right outside the temple where all of the sacrifices were made on. And so Right about the time that they get the altar built, start making some sacrifices and begin to work on the foundation of the temple, foreign armies and foreign countries kind of start to make trouble for them. And in the midst of all of that opposition and all of that adversity, the building of the temple, the building and the rebuilding of the house of God stops. And it stops for about 17 years. They come back with all of this excitement and joy and energy and vigor and they begin to rebuild God's house and then they start to come up against some adversity and then all of a sudden all of the building stops. And this is where the story of Haggai picks up 17 years later after they stop working on God's house. Now here's why I think it's important for us. We are right at the place where we get, we're beginning to return back to life as we knew it. Just last Sunday, we had church on the lawn in person. It's the first time that we gathered together in person as a church in six months. There was so much excitement, so much joy, both from everybody who attended and in me, myself. It was so refreshing and meaningful to gather together with people in person. 
that excitement will inevitably give way to familiarity. And that familiarity will inevitably give way to routine. And there is a danger in returning to our routine, just like we're about to see in the story of of Haggai. So we're going to jump into Haggai. You can click the little Bible tab on the platform if you're watching with us uh, at Church Online. And I'm going to be starting chapter 1, verse 1. Now this is a really short book, um, but we're going to look at probably the first 10 or so verses this morning. So here we go. Haggai chapter 1, verse 1. In the second year of Darius, the king of Persia, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel. He was kind of the governor, the son of Shealtiel. He was the governor of Judah. And to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts. So back in this time period, prophets were sort of like preachers in the sense that um, they delivered a message on behalf of God. And so this is what Haggai does. He shows up to these Israelites who have returned to Jerusalem. And he's like, listen, God's got a message for you. Here's what the message is. Thus says the Lord of hosts, which just means the Lord of an army, the Lord of heavenly forces, the Lord of hosts. This is what God says. And the God begins to kind of imitate or recreate what he is suggesting that the people of Israel are saying. This people says, the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Now, what's interesting is he calls them this people. If you kind of read backwards towards Genesis in your, in your Old Testament, what you'll find again and again and again is once God establishes covenant with Abraham and all of Abraham's children and descendants who become the people of Israel, God almost exclusively refers to them as my people, my people, my children, my people, my, my tribe. And so in this moment, he's kind of doing what married folk you do when your children act up and you look at your spouse and you're like, can you believe what your children just did? This is kind of what God's doing. He's like, I'm not claiming them right now. Can you believe what your children are doing? They take after you in that way. That's all you in them. That's your genetics. This is what God's saying. He's saying, this people says, the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Basically, he's saying these people don't think it's important that they rebuild the temple. And he goes on. He says, then the word of the Lord came again by Haggai saying, is it time for yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? Now, paneled houses was just kind of a way to describe the, the state of luxury that most of these homes were in. So these were really nice homes, well-furnished, granite countertops, all of the nice fixtures and amenities and all of the stuff. And so God's looking at this group of people and he's saying, listen, you don't think it's important to rebuild my house, but there you are living in your luxury and in your comfort and in your familiarity. And while my house, while it lies desolate, while it lies in ruin, while it remains unfinished, it's like, listen, there is a, there's a problem with this. The way, that, the way that God phrases this through Haggai, it's really kind of this rhetorical question. Is it time for yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? Of course not. The answer is no. Now is the time to rebuild the house of God. You've been off the job for 17 years. You've kind of gotten lax with your habits and your discipline and your routine. You've returned to what's comfortable, what's familiar, what's normal. And in doing so, you have forgotten to continue to do the work on God's house. Now, 
The reason that it's important for them to rebuild the house of the Lord is not just because God wants them to, but it's because at that time period, through their understanding, the way that the temple worked was the temple was the dwelling place of God. God's house was where God lived, similar to the way that you and I work. And so our house is where we live. Well, it's important because the goal of their relationship as the people of Israel was to live in relationship with God, to live in the midst of God's presence. And it was through God's presence and activity and work in their lives that all the good things would come. But if God doesn't have a house to live in, if the temple is still remaining desolate and in ruin, God's saying, listen, you have not spent any time ensuring that I have a place to dwell in your midst. You haven't put any effort or energy into establishing or maintaining or rebuilding our relationship together. You've gotten lax in your prayer life. You've gotten lax in your scripture reading. You're not doing the things that you need to do to stay close to me. This is essentially what God's saying and what I think God is saying to us. Now, the issue that God has isn't in their paneled houses. It's not in their luxury. It's not in the nice things. It's not in their comfort. He's not saying these things are bad. What he's saying is these things aren't enough. And this is kind of what, where he goes on after this. Haggai says this. Now, therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, evaluate your choices, evaluate the way that you've been living, reflect on what's happened these last 17 years. You have sown much, but you harvest little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages, to put into a purse with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And so God goes on to say, listen, like we've got a problem. You focused on your life. You have focused on your comfort, your familiarity, your routine, the things that you want to pursue, what seems good and right in your own eyes. And you haven't spent any time rebuilding my house. And so think about how that's worked out for you. This would be like Dr. Phil looking at them saying, how's that working for you? Like this is what's going on here in that moment. He's saying, listen, you're working yourself to the bone, but it doesn't feel like you're making any progress. You've achieved more success than you ever thought possible. And yet somehow you're still unsatisfied. Your kids have gotten into all of the right schools and yet none of you are happy. Everybody seems frustrated, disappointed, unsatisfied, you know, maybe a little melancholy, and you don't know why because you have everything that you sought to gain in this life. Everything that you thought would bring you happiness, would bring you fulfillment, would bring you meaning. You have the relationships, you have all of the stuff, all of the check boxes are marked. And yet somehow, you still need more. You have all of this, and yet it still feels like so little. Why aren't you happy? Why aren't you satisfied? Why don't you seem to be fulfilled? God's saying, listen, it ain't working. Consider your ways. Think about your choices. The way that you're living your life, it's not working for you. It's not bringing about your flourishment. It's not bringing about your own happiness and your own fulfillment. You think it's going to. You look around at everybody else, then it seems to be working for them, but you do it for you, and it doesn't seem to work the way that you expect it to work. And so God's like, if you would take time to think about it, you would begin to realize why this doesn't work anymore. He says in verse nine, he says, look, you look for much, but behold, it comes to little. 
And when you bring it home, I blow it away. There is a futility to the way that you are living your life, a futility to your routine, a futility to your habits, a futility to all of the effort and energy that you are spending trying to keep it all together and look the certain way and do all of the things that you think you're supposed to do and follow the rules and the examples and so on and so on. And you think that this is what's gonna bring you what you're longing for. And God's saying, but it comes to little. Why? Because my house lies desolate while each of you runs to his own house. Now, in uh, kind of the, the Hebrew that runs to his own house, it doesn't, it literally means that you're too busy with your own house. There's a frenetic energy about you. There's an unsustainable pace in which you're living kind of in your own life. And so what, basically what God's saying here in this moment is you're too busy consumed with your own life to, and doing your own things in your own way. And yet you can't find any satisfaction through those, those ends. It's not leading you to the place that you want it to and you don't understand what's going on. And God's saying, listen, my house lies desolate. You haven't taken time to make sure that our relationship is good. You haven't taken time to rebuild my house, to rebuild my temple. You're too busy with your own house and with your own life and with your own agenda. And it's leading you nowhere. It's making you unhappy and irritable and dissatisfied and bored, there's more for you, God says. You're too busy, and you're too busy with the stuff that doesn't matter most. Now, God doesn't say that these are bad people. He doesn't say, oh, you're terrible, and I'm gonna wipe you off the face of the earth. That's not what he's saying. The problem isn't that they're bad. The problem is that they're too busy, and they're too busy with the wrong things, the things that don't lead to their relationship with God because it's in that place that they actually find fulfillment and meaning and purpose. Well, the same thing is true for us. I mean, I can't tell you how many times over the last six months I've heard from you about how nice, in a way, this break has been. This period of time where some of the busyness, some of this hurry, some of this kind of chasing our tails that we did prior to all of this COVID stuff, how it's nice not to have to do that anymore. It's nice to have a break from some of this. It was like, we finally got to exhale. We finally got to catch our breath. We started to have more dinners as a family. We started to, to maybe put our phone down a little bit more and connect with each other more, to read more, to worry less. And so often again and again, I heard from you like, gosh, this is nice. This is nice. I don't wanna to have to go back. I don't wanna to have to go back to the way it was. Maybe you've said that, maybe you've said that to friends, maybe you've thought it to yourself. Like, wow, we just took a two hour walk as a family or we went on a bike ride or we just sat outside and talked. It was so nice. This pace of life is sustainable. But inevitably, and this is the danger in returning to routine, inevitably, we get caught up in our own houses. We get caught up with our own ways with our own agenda, with the way that life used to be, we fall back into those pre-worn grooves and we get stuck in this routine. And God's saying it leads you nowhere. It is not bringing you the fulfillment and the meaning and the purpose and the happiness. This does not lead to your flourishing and to your betterment. Stop doing it and instead focus your efforts, focus your time on rebuilding my house. And so, this is exactly what God tells them. He says, listen, here's what you need to do instead. 
You need to realize, consider your ways, think about the choices that you're making. Think about how they're not working for you. They're not serving you. Admit it. This ain't going the way that you thought it would. This isn't how you hoped it would be. You start to feel that familiarity of these routines creeping back in and in a way it's this kind of comes with a sense of dread because you know that it's just exhausting and it's tiring and it doesn't fill you up. It just leaves you drained and irritable and wishing and longing for more. And so God gives them instructions. He gives them kind of some steps of action to take on how to move forward, how to begin to get out of that place and back into a new place, back into a relationship with him. And it starts with rebuilding the temple. And so he makes it really simple for them. Go up to the mountain, bring down the wood and rebuild the temple. If you missed that, here it is again. Go up to the mountain bring down the wood and rebuild the temple. There's not all of these hoops that you have to jump through. There's not all of these steps that you have to take. There's not this course that you have to sign up for or all of this you know, work that you have to do. It's really, really simple for them. Go to the mountains. Why do you go to the mountains? Because that's where all the wood is. Go up to the mountains. Go bring down the wood. Rebuild the temple. Now, Stephen, what about for us? Are we actually supposed to do some type of building project? I don't think that's what Haggai would be saying to us. I don't think that's what God would say to us today. Because the way that we understand God's temple has dramatically changed since this time period. You know, Jesus helps us understand that, that we are the temple, that God lives inside the human heart. And so the temple that we have to rebuild is our own heart and relationship with God to do the work inside of ourselves in relationship to and in partnership with with God. And so what, are you, what would be the steps of action that you need to take in your life to rebuild God's, God's home in your heart, God's temple inside of you? What would be those steps? Maybe it's put down the phone, pick up the Bible, and spend time reading scripture. Or maybe it's wake up 10 minutes early, go to a quiet room, and spend time in prayer. Or maybe it's come home from work earlier, eat dinner as a family and spend time connecting with each other and what's going on in your life. I don't know what the steps are for you, but my guess is, is our tendency is to make them more complicated than they have to be. What I would encourage each one of us to do is to think about what's the simplest step that you could take today? What's the simplest action you could make? What's the simplest way that you could begin to change a habit or a routine to help to begin to rebuild God's house? God's house in your heart, God's house in your life, because it's in God's temple that we begin to experience the presence of God. And that's what they go on to say next. So why should we do all this? Well, God says, go up to the mountains, bring down the wood and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and be glorified. Because really it's about creating an environment inside the temple, inside of our heart, where God can be glorified, where we can recognize that what we need, all of our fulfillment, all of our longing, that hole inside of our heart and inside of our life that never seems to be able to be filled up adequately, we find that solution in God. We find that in our relationship with God. And so this whole time, 
through Haggai, God has been asking and begging and pleading with the people of Israel. He's like, listen, you have gotten off track. You've gotten caught up in your own routines. And in doing so, you get so busy with your life and what you want, and it doesn't serve you. Think about it. Consider your ways about how you're pursuing more and more and more, and it feels like you get less and less and less with each amount. You end up in a place that's unsatisfied and unfulfilled and longing for purpose and longing for meaning. I mean, I think that is so much about what's happening in the world today, about some of the things that we see happening both nationally and globally is because these Because people in general, we as a society, we are trying to find purpose and we are trying to find meaning. We are trying to find fulfillment in everything but God. And God's saying, you'll never find it anywhere else but with me. So take some actions, simple steps. Go up to the mountain, bring down the wood and rebuild the temple. My hope and prayer for each one of us is that we would begin to take action to rebuild God's temple in our lives because it's in that place where God can be glorified that we recognize that all that we are searching for in this life is found in him. Now, here's here's the question for us this morning. As we begin to return to our normal lives, as we begin to return to familiarity, we have a little bit of initial excitement. We're starting to come back to church. We're starting to interact with other people who share our same faith. But the tendency will be, the natural gravitational pull on our lives will be to get caught up in our own house, getting busy with everything else that we used to be busy with. And we will forget to continue to rebuild the house of God inside of us. And my friends, my hope and prayer for each one of us is that we will not make the same mistake that the people of Israel do that we will prioritize rebuilding God's house, that we will take the actions and the steps that we need to take and we will begin to draw closer in relationship to God. Because in that place, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, it is in that place that we find all that we are searching for. The little becomes a lot. It is not the way that it works with the world. A lot always feels like a little, but with God, little bits feel like a whole lot. Now, that's not where the story of Haggai stops. And for the rest of it, we'll have to pick up next week. But as we close in prayer this morning, that's my prayer for each one of you, that you will begin to consider your ways, that you'll begin to evaluate the choices, the habits, the routines that you are starting to readopt, and that you will prioritize and take the action steps needed to rebuild the house of God. Let's pray. Gracious God, we love you and we are grateful for our time together this morning. We are thankful for the reminder that we have a choice. That God, that through your power and your grace, we can be intentional about what we pursue in our lives. God, give us the strength. Give us the presence of mind to pursue you first. As Jesus would say, God, help us to seek first your kingdom, knowing that when we do that, all things will then be added to us. God, we love you. And we were grateful for this chance to come together this morning. We ask that you work within us, that you would dwell inside of us, that your house would be at home in our hearts. God, we're thankful for this time together. And we pray all things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Dallas area, we would love for you to visit us. For directions, service times, and more info, visit us at grove.org.